to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, lesbian love coach, Jordana Michelle. And if you're interested in finding your soulmate, so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share your dreams together and have adventures together and have amazing sex together, then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com, because it's packed with valuable free resources, including a how-to guide for finding your lesbian soulmate, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, my guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. But before I go any further, I have a question. Do you know what polyamory is or what polyamorous relationships are really about? Anyone who's single in big cities today is going to run into people who identify as poly. So it's really important to understand what it all means. Because if we end up meeting someone we're attracted to who's poly, we need to know whether or not that's something we can handle. There's a lot of judgment about polyamorous relationships because the idea of sharing our partner can be very triggering to anyone who's monogamous. And I totally get that because I myself am monogamous. But to all my other monogamous sisters out there, Here's what we have to understand. The world is full of monogamous women just like us who we can find and be monogamous with. So polyamorous people are not infringing on our ability to have the monogamous relationships we want to have. So instead of calling polyamory good or bad or right or wrong, it's important instead to simply learn about how these other kinds of relationships function and how other humans want to function in their relationships because understanding more perspectives makes us wiser, better human beings. So, in the spirit of expanding our wisdom, on this episode of Women Wanting Women, I interview my friend Mindy Rath, a queer female stand-up comedian who teaches us all about polyamorous relationships and the various ways they can work. We get into some really interesting nuances, plus a discussion about what practicing polyamory teaches polyamorous people about jealousy, insecurity, abandonment, and how to draw boundaries that work best for each individual. We also share a funny talk about dating women and the neurotic things we women can do in our heads when we get nervous on dates. And lastly, since Mindy is an actress and a comedian who produces her own shows, we talk about art as entrepreneurship and how Mindy manages to create her own opportunities as an artist, because those tips can be great inspiration for anyone who wants to do more creative work but doesn't know how to get started. Mindy Raff is a comedian, actress, writer, and musician based in Brooklyn, New York. She's contributed to MTV's Girl Code, College Humor, TNT, VH1, The Daily Comedy Network, and the My Parents Were Awesome anthology. Mindy's debut young adult novel, The Symptoms of My Insanity, published by Dial Penguin, is available at Barnes & Noble and on Amazon. Her critically acclaimed solo comedy show, Not the One, A Love Story, was named an LGBT Best by Time Out New York, and theater reviews called it hilariously quirky, barrier-breaking, and cheeky and infectious. Not the One has played to a sold-out run off-Broadway at 59E59. It garnered four-star reviews at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and has sold out at Brooklyn's Clown City, the People's Improv Theater, the Tank NYC, as well as its recent guest production residency at NYC's Theater Lab. Mindy also co-produces a monthly comedy show in the East Village in New York City. It's called Golden Spiral Comedy, and it takes place the first Tuesday of the month at the Dream Baby Lounge. In this busy world, it's great to have an excuse to talk to a good friend for an uninterrupted hour, so I really enjoyed recording this episode, and I hope you enjoy listening to my interview with Mindy Raff. Mindy Rath, my friend, thank you for being here. I'm so excited to finally have this conversation with you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's You're like my one comedian friend who I can sit and talk about dating women with and just crack up. And that's one of the, <laughs> one of the main reasons I, I asked you to be on the podcast with me so we could just have some good laughs. No pressure. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Make us laugh. Um, <laughs> yeah. So have you been dating recently? Tell me what's going on. <laughs> um, 
I have been dating a little bit. It's hard. I My goal was like once a week, go out and meet someone new. And I feel like that's a little hard with schedule. But um, yeah, I am, I've been, let's see, I went on like two dates over the holidays, which I thought was like very ambitious. Uh, and it's been okay. I think I'm a really bad dater. I know I'm a bad dater. What is bad dater? What is a bad dater? I'm a bad socialer in general. How like, is that I'm possible? Not... You're like the friendliest, funniest person I know. How is it possible you're a bad socialer? Well, I'm because like I'm very like, oh, I overshare, first of all. <laughs> I don't have any game. I'm a little bit of a people pleaser. I'm great for entertaining, which is fine with a microphone, but one-on-one. Wait, um, how do you have no game? You're the funniest. And funny is good, but like it's very hard to transition from like funny into sexy sometimes. Oh. So I feel like once I've like started being performative on dates, I think it creates a little bit of a wall. And the comedy, I think like the, like the comedy, I think most comedians will tell you themselves on stage is like a hyperbolized version of themselves or a more narrative version of themselves. So it's them, but it's not maybe totally them one-on-one. So it's interesting when I'm on dates or meeting people for the first time, it's slightly me as like the comedy person people see, but not really. Or if I go into that, it probably means I'm like a little more nervous. Right. Cause you start or, performing instead of being totally yourself. Yes. I get a little presentational. So it's almost like can be a little bit of a problem. I think connecting with performers when they're trying to like get intimate with people or meet people. So I find that a little bit of a challenge to be like, don't perform for them. Just talk to them. But at the same time, I think if you're funny, you're funny, you're going to be funny. Um, but I don't know. I went on one date where we talked about death for seven hours and I came home and I was like, I killed it. <laughs> <laughs> I killed it. And I'm like, oh, wait, like that, nothing sexy happened. You just talked about death. Very helpful for the other person. But yeah, I tend to go into therapist mode sometimes. So that's what I mean when I'm a bad dater. I guess it's whatever the goal is. But if the goal is to like get it, make on. it sexy or get it on. I'm not the greatest at that. It takes me a little while to be like, oh, by the way, like this is a date. I forgot. Let's not talk about our trauma issues. Or maybe (laughs) you just need someone to be more the aggressor, like throw you up against the wall and like, you know, kiss it, which is also fine. All right. So everyone who ever dates Mindy, try not, you got to make the first move. Consensually. (laughs) Consensually make the first move. Right. Yes. Don't throw up against the wall without her permission. We're going to get aggressive. Let's make it kinky and consensual. I will totally with the right agreements. In no way was I suggesting that um, any sort of violence against females is okay. I meant, you, you know, not that suggesting. Hot... I'm just like putting it out there for the world of the internet. <laughs> it's so good that you put it out there because it's an important, it's a, an important caveat. And in case I was unclear, these are things, and especially this day and age, we gotta be super clear about these things. Yes, the, the summary is dominate with consent. <laughs> dominate with consent. I love it. But it's interesting what you say about performing because if we're going to get super analytical about things. Yeah, let's do it. I think that when we humans get nervous, it's easy to sort of go into our pre-programmed. Mm-hmm. We, we Our personality sort of formed at a young age reacting against things or trying to get our needs met and there are these sort of automatic things that we tend to say and do that maybe we just have been we're just in the habit of doing a sort of our habitual patterns and yes um, I'm nodding like crazy because it's so it's so true but it's it's a compulsion it's sometimes too like you don't even realize you're going there and you're like especially if you're attracted to certain people that like trigger those compulsions or trigger those habits So if you're like someone who's like slightly people pleasing or slightly codependent, you might be attracted to someone who's slightly detached. So then you'll be like in this situation where you're like going into this habitual thing of like getting your needs met. So yeah, it's, I think dating is very tricky when you learn about habits and your like formative compulsions. Also, I just mean our personalities might come out. So For example, I'll find myself in the middle of, if I'm excited about someone in the middle of the date, realizing, oh, I just talked for 10 minutes without stopping. I didn't even realize (laughs) I was doing it. Um, You know, even if it's just me talking about my project or talking about my law firm or telling a story that I'm used to telling, where all of a sudden we kind of go to sleep 
or into autopilot yeah, yeah. because of nervous and not present in the moment. There are like tools I use to sort of ground myself. Do you have tools that you use to ground yourself to sort of get back to earth when those things yeah, happen? Yeah, I'm, I'm similar. Yeah, when I'm going out, I would take myself out of it based on nerves or some like compulsion to be like, I'm just going to like not say anything or I'm going to say everything. But um, <laughs> I think I try to ask questions a lot. I tend to uh, over talk. So it's something, it could be something really simple, like, what do you want to drink? And I could go into the history of like, <laughs> <laughs> like bet my beverage, like his of beverage preferences yes. and how they, formed. and I noticed that cause my current partner, cause we haven't even got into this, but I'm Polly. So I have this partner to like bounce stuff off of. And when I go on dates, she's like, how was it? And I'll like talk to her about it. And I'll be like, I think I went on a tangent about white wine. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so I have to know that like, Four sentences is enough. And so then what does Antonia say about your white wine tangent? Like, how does she then advise you? Because she's, she's really good. She's with really, well, she's really good with communication and knowing like when to stop and when to start. And she's just good, a good communicator. And so I think that handles being good at women because she's a good listener and a good sounding board. So she always does it to me when we're social. I'm like, can you call me out if I'm doing it socially so I can recognize it and not do it on dates? And so sometimes we'll be at a party and we'll be talking about something and she'll be like, Hey, you're like, you're doing it. And I'm like, thank you. Okay, cool. So I can <laughs> recognize it a little bit. That's awesome. She's so awesome. Yeah. I try to breathe and stay present and focus on the other person and just remind myself. Yeah. Remind myself that like, it's a dynamic and I, it's about engaging with somebody versus like showing somebody something about myself uh, especially because I think so much of us when it comes to the things that we're trying to show what makes us think we don't even know her yet what makes us think that's what she wants to see so being present for another person is often it's just so much more effective anyway that, than than the show that we'll put on yes which I find interesting we're putting it on for ourselves because we're like nervous about well, I'm putting it on for myself because I'm probably nervous about making that connection anyway so I'm sure it's something I'm doing as an avoidance technique anyway, probably, or nervousness. Yeah, I think all humans have our unconscious patterns that we get into, yeah. or the things that for whatever reason, as we were forming our personalities, we thought that other people wanted to see from mm -hmm. us. And then we put that on display. But it's, it's based on our own false assumptions anyway, yeah. in the first place, I think. I'm talking about all humans, maybe. Um, but also, of course, myself, I do this. Yeah. Um, and I agree with you about breathing. I think any sort of present moment awareness techniques are so helpful. Like sometimes I'll just touch my stomach and breathe into my stomach. So I remember to just ground myself in my body. Yes. Yeah. Eye um, contact with the other person versus looking, looking yeah. away, fidgeting, staying still. Um, and I always remind myself of what my connection is with that person. Are we friends? Are they going through a rough time? Like what, what am I there to, what's the dynamic? Or if I'm on a date, I have to remind myself it's a date. So maybe I want to like, cause I'm very internal. I have a hard time externalizing sometimes what I, my thing. So sometimes I'm like, oh, you're on a date. Maybe you should try to like touch their arm or like do something externally to let them know you're interested versus it's all in your head. Nobody really knows. No one knows those cues except you because I like deep internalize. So I'm like, oh, maybe you should smile and like touch their arm. So I'm, I'm like a slow mover about letting someone know how I feel. Maybe you already are smiling. You just don't realize <laughs> that because you're just not focused on what's happening outside. Yes. You know, you could already be doing it. Yes, I just associate a little bit sometimes um, and don't, I don't even know what's going on. I'm just like, oh my God, you're on a date. What, what do you, I hope, hope everything's going well and then it's already happening. I'm like, did you miss something? Like, <laughs> I had a funny experience similar to that. It has nothing to do with dating, but I, I learned something really deep and profound for my sister-in-law um, just by observing her. When I have a very old grandfather, he's in, he's like 93 and he can't really hear at all very well, um, or barely anything. Oh, wow. And he's so happy to see us all the time, but he can't really remember or hear very much. And so I'll be sitting there and I remember sitting there face to face with him and, and saying to myself, I'm a bad granddaughter. I don't know what to say to him. I don't know how to make him happy. I don't know. And it was... Um, all these thoughts that I was having about how I'm not a good enough granddaughter to him or something. And then I observed my sister-in-law and she just was my brother's wife. And she was just sitting there with this big, warm smile, just sort of holding space mm -hmm. for him. And it really taught me like, oh, wow. Any thought I was having about myself or how I was performing, quote mm -hmm. unquote, that's just my own 
selfish ego. I should have not, why was I thinking about myself? I should have just been what my sister-in-law was doing, just holding space and being present for him. Why was I even thinking about myself at all? I wasn't relevant yeah. at all. Well, you, know? you were relevant, but yeah. And also it's, it's so, we're so hard on ourselves. Like our background, our formative background, like everything, everything connects to how we're able to hold space for people and how we're able to hold space for ourselves. So it's like your sister-in-law has a, maybe a different background with how she can hold space. Maybe it's so tricky because it depends on like how you identified and what you identified with. And for women specifically, I think I was raised to react more. I personally was raised to like put out fires more than start them. That idea of being responsible for other people's happiness was something I think I was taught through culture and probably a little bit through family, um, which I think all affects how you form relationships and date. Um, yeah, I think women in general, like women identified, are taught subconsciously in society and very directly that they're there to solve other people's problems and hold space for other people versus holding space for themselves. And I think that's a problem sometimes uh, and not helpful when it comes to trusting your gut and getting what you want and having relationships. And it's something I'm working on, but I think dating specifically and even having that moment of like, oh, it's my fault. I'm a bad person or whatever it is that you were experiencing from your grandfather. I so relate to because it's, it's not even about ego. I think it's like that cruel narrative of putting yourself to blame for something that is not even your fault that you're just like this human being giving energy. But it's, I think that's when it, you go there first, that takes up so much space. Uh, so yeah, I think, and I think that's a very common thing. Yeah. Anytime we're thinking about ourselves and we're not just being present in the moment for other people, mm -hmm. it definitely does. It takes up way too much space. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a process too. It's like, you want to think about yourself for self care and kindness and, but you also don't want to do it maybe when you're like <laughs> trying to connect with somebody else. But it's a tricky little path. The being self-aware and, and ego, um, it's a tricky little get sticky. <laughs> it is. But that's what this is all about, right? Even the most enlightened people, no one's perfect. We just, you know, day in a time we, we show up. We make mistakes and we try. Yeah, again. even the most enlightened people are going to talk about death for seven hours on a date and not make out. I mean, <laughs> not everyone's perfect. Not everyone is perfect. You make a really good point. So tell me more about dating. So how? So when you say you're Polly, you're your partner mm -hmm. Polly. At what point do you tell women that? Like, is that a first date conversation? Is it before you get That's on the date? How do you come out as Polly? Or before date conversation? So what happens? Yeah. You're like. How do you even meet women? Let's talk about that. How do you meet women? And then, well, because it happens before a date, how do um, you? So I, I didn't date for a while. I think just having my partner and work and everything else, I didn't really have time for it. And so then I made a goal like to do it. And so I, I went on apps because I think I meet people through friends and stuff. And that's always easier because the person knows me. They usually know my partner and it, it can become like it can develop. But meeting people out and about I don't really meet people out and about because I'm usually always with friends or my partner and then so when you're going on dates the dates that you find are coming from dating apps they're coming from like dating apps um I've had a couple people ask me out at events or parties but I find that I would have to like really make it clear to them that I'm available to date because even though we're poly, if they know my partner at all, some people get a little weird about it. Um, if someone else is poly, they're like, yeah, what's your deal, blah, blah, blah. But other people are like, like one person was like, I didn't know you were allowed to date. And I'm like, what do you mean I wasn't allowed to date? So it's like these weird perceptions people have about like, you know, femme versus masculine presenting and rules and agreements. And so I find that I have to be very clear with people like what we are and what we do, which is that we're in a partnership, we're polyamorous, we date, like it's full communication, blah, blah, blah. But on dating apps, I think you should be very clear if you're open because it is something that people want to know. It's nobody's business necessarily what's going on in my life, like who my partner is or if we live together, if we're engaged, but I want to let them know that I'm not monogamous because if they're looking for a monogamous partner, 
And you're yeah. wasting both of it's your times. Wasting, yeah, it's wasting, it's wasting our times. And so I've definitely messaged people I thought were like, seemed like cool who messaged me and been like, oh, I'm Polly, I'm open. It doesn't seem like that's what you want from your profile, but I'm always up for meeting friends uh, and making friends if you want to hang out. Usually they don't want to hang out, but some people I've made friends because people want to network, people want to make Absolutely. friends, and maybe I can introduce them to somebody else. Yeah, I always advocate that people treat dating apps as a great way to meet people in under any circumstance and not only focus, focus on it as a dating as like a, an opportunity to meet yeah. their soulmate because that's a great way to set yourself up for disappointment. Whereas if you just make a new friend, then all of a sudden you have this whole other access to an entire other universe of people. Yeah, and a new friend, hopefully. And a new friend, which yeah. is what could be better than a new friend? Friends are the best. I know. So, <laughs> so cheesy, but I'm like, what could be better than a new friend? I think I, I thought I said that. I yeah, that's why I was you. laughing at you because I'm like, yeah, yeah. it's the best. Yay, new friends. Yeah, I was excited when we became new friends, although technically we should have been old friends. I, Mindy and I have been in the same circle going back to like 1998. Yeah, that's crazy. And we didn't meet each other until like 2017, which is really that we 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 kind of danced around knowing each other for like 19 years, which is crazy. And then we met through um, Antonia, her partner was throwing an LGBT industry night, and we were both there. And she said, "You know, you look familiar." <laughs> I was like, "No, I don't." You totally brushed me off. You totally brushed me. I, I, I didn't brush you off. I wanted to. I was totally trying to be nice and be friends. I just didn't think you there was any reason why I'd look familiar. And then it turns out we were we knew every single person in common because we went to the same college together. I had this vision of you like somewhere. Like I had a youth vision of you. Like I couldn't explain it. When I saw you, I was like, I don't know if it's Michigan. I don't know what it is. But I have this vision of like seeing you at an event or it was probably at, like, who knows? But you know how you just like have this vision of someone in your memory of like, I feel like we've been in the same space before. Totally. So a vision of 19 year old Jordana crossed your imagination and you just knew. I just knew. I was Which like, is so funny. You're a Michigan person. I know it. <laughs> so finally, we finally found each other. It happened. <laughs> so talk more about, I haven't had anyone on the podcast who's been in an open relationship. I'd love to hear more about what, how that works for you. And, and cause and you, your stand up show is all about that. Your one woman show is all about it. So yeah, the one woman show, not the one is like the it's like stand-up storytelling about me coming out as polyamorous to um, my dead mother. But it's funny. Um, but yeah, so the whole show is me kind of grappling with coming out to myself about it. And because I think... And you don't mean coming out as LGBT. You mean coming out as poly. So yes, coming out as being in a polyamorous relationship. Yes. And I love the title of the show, Not the One. Because it's also a story about you meeting your partner who you're marrying. Yeah. So a lot of times when we think we find someone that we want to marry, it's that we found the one. And you call it not the one because you're Polly. Yeah. And it's also about your love with her. So it's an absolutely hysterical title. Oh, thank you. So the play is about you coming out as Polly to your dead mother. Yes. <laughs> and what you say is still very funny, which I love. <laughs> yeah, um, it's not the one a love story is the tag from it, which I really like. A love story. That's adorable. Because it is a love story. It's a love story about me and my partner. It's a love story about me finding confidence to claim to the world, like, what I do with my life and how I love. It's a love story about my mom accepting queer identity and poly identity from beyond the grave. So there's a lot of different love stories. I think we're taught the love story is always romance, one like very tight narrative and I think it's more like abundant love story like there's so many ways to have love stories and that's the theme of it I find it so interesting because I I get so in some ways triggered by the idea of an open relationship I feel myself to be extremely monogamous but I I, I honestly think I'm wired that way as I always say but it could just be that I'm triggered and and, you know, and uncomfortable with the idea. I'm always open to the fact that I could be wrong about things. So I want to hear more about your perspective on it. Were you always, did you always know you were Polly? No. And the thing is, I'm not, I don't think I'm Polly is like my identity. I'm probably monogamous. I look at polyamory as like multiple monogamous relationships. Multiple monogamous, monogamous relationships. That's my narrative for Polly. That's not, I, the thing about Polly is it's different for everyone. I'm not like Polly by nature. I might not be poly if I wasn't with a partner who didn't identify as poly 
I don't think I can ever go back to monogamy now because I think it's because a lot of shame I have used to have about being not being sex positive and feeling shame about being attracted to other people. I don't ever want to feel that again. So because what does I that mean? I don't know if I'm clear like, that up. Tell me more about that. What is how do you define sex positive? Well, for instance, I think women are taught if they're in a monogamous relationship with men, in particular, in, in a in a binary relationship. But I think even on the queer spectrum, if you're monogamous, that you're not supposed to like be attracted to anybody else. That you found this one person to be with, and you're not supposed to like want anyone else or want to flirt with anyone else. And I personally think that's a lot of pressure to put on one person and a lot of shame to put on another person if they do feel attracted to somebody else, because chances are if you're with someone for 40, 50 years or whatever it is, or 10 years, you're going to grow and move together and you're probably going to like be attracted to other people. And I think it's healthy to be able to talk about that. And I'm not saying monogamous couples can't talk about that because I think there's a lot of people who are monogamous who have really healthy ways they talk about and they use it in their own love life. And that's great. But I'm maybe going on the other end of the spectrum of some shame that was internalized that I felt about feeling a little trapped in a sex negative way, being monogamous. And I think being polyamorous opened the door for me to explore attraction to different people and different spectrums of people that I don't think I would be able to do when I was monogamous. It also triggers all the triggers, which is jealousy and abandonment and anxiety and panic. And I mean, it's a big pressing on all of my wounds being poly. And does it continue to press on them every time Antonio meets someone new or is it now you're over it or does it evolve to different ways of being triggered? No, it was like a it was a learning hump. It still presses on them for sure. And it's a choice I'm making, but it's definitely like I for me, I've become like a better, more evolved person from being poly. I'm not saying that people who are monogamous are not. And I think monogamy is evolved and beautiful in its own way. It's not like monogamy is for cavemen and poly is evolved. That is completely not true. But it's just a specific choice you're making in the boundaries of how you want to love. So if you set a boundary of monogamy for yourself, that's the boundary you set. And it's not like you're less evolved. It's you're like, for myself, I need a boundary of monogamy and I need someone to honor and maintain a monogamous boundary. And I think that's so evolved. If you want to be poly, then you say, I want to be poly. If you can't maintain that, then you have to set another different boundary and we can't be together. So I think it's about setting the boundaries of the agreements of a relationship versus saying one is evolved and one is not. Yeah. I mean, I found I was, uh, I just got out of a five-year relationship and I wouldn't say that I was never attracted to someone else. In fact, I was just thinking about this one time where on a, <laughs> I was set up on a, um, not set up like in a relationship way, but uh, a work colleague told me that I should meet this woman and I had no idea what she looked like. I had no idea who she was. I had no idea what age range she was. I had no idea about this person. It was just this colleague that I respected told me to meet this person. And I'm, I'm not even remembering why because I have so many side projects. It was some, for some side project that I did. <laughs> and we sat down for – she showed up and I was like, oh, whoa. And we had a lot of chemistry. It was kind of intense. And it was one of those things. She had a partner too also. And she also ended up being a female partner. So I didn't even know that she was – uh, queer, but then it turned out she was queer. And I remember at the end of this coffee being like, thinking to myself, like, let's never see each other ever again. You know? <laughs> this is not a safe space. <laughs> this is not a safe space. I'm out of here. But this was, it was hot. And I remember leaving, like, kind of laughing. I remember being like, okay, you know, we still got it. Like, it was cool that, you know, it was, it was kind of fun to be in that energy for a minute, but I had no intention of doing anything with it. I didn't do anything with it. I left yeah, and sort yeah. of laughed about it. I told my partner about it, my partner yeah. at the time when I got home. And, um, and it was sort of a fun exchange. And I think that that was, uh, I think I did a good job of being, you know, a monogamous, but be still being real about the fact that of course there's going to be, you can't help these things is, you know, exactly. Um, but I also, I did set a very good monogamous boundary by not in any way trying to follow up with this person where we could hang out without our partners or even with our partners for that matter. <laughs> yeah. And if you're like, if you're someone who would be in a monogamous relationship, meet that person and feel like 
deep regret and upsetness and anger. Like, oh, I wish I could. Like, what's the big deal? Why can't I be with that person? It wouldn't affect this relationship. Then, yeah, you should probably be think about being poly or open because if you're not, if you're feeling trapped in monogamy, sometimes it's not about the other person not satisfying you or satisfying your needs. You might just be like happier bringing people into your life. Uh, multiple people into your life. Right, but, in, a, in a more the merrier sort of way. Yeah. So you think that if anything, God forbid, were to happen to Antonia and you, or for whatever reason, you don't think that you, you don't think you'd go back to monogamy. You think because now you would feel trapped by monogamy, even if you're not no, naturally monogamous. I, I don't think I'd feel trapped by it. I think it would have to be a very specific relationship. I mean, who knows? I, I try to stay very fluid. Um and also know that my relationship with myself is fluid and my relationship with partners are fluid. So I would, if you would have told me 10 years ago, you're going to be in a polyamorous queer relationship (laughs) and be talking about it on a podcast. I'd be like, I don't know what you're, I don't even know what those words mean. I know what some of those words mean, but like, like, I'd be like, who are you crazy ghost of the future, queer ghost of the future? Like get out of my office. Um, So who knows in 10 years, I could be Amish. You don't know. No, I won't. Right. But like, totally I, screw technology. I'm hyperbolizing, but <laughs> but yes, if I I don't know. Like I yes, you don't know. I guess is what I'm saying. I think that's fair. But realistically, right now in this moment that we're talking, could I see myself be monogamous? No, not right now, and that's where I'm at. So that's like a very strong reality for me in this moment what I also think is interesting is the polyamorous relationships that I've seen work the best seem to me and I don't know because I also don't have that many friends that are poly or open but it seems Mm -hmm. to me that the ones that have really worked the best are the ones that started out poly not the ones where two people were in a monogamous relationship for x amount of years and then they suddenly want to open it up I've I've seen Uh, those get messed up I've seen that or not messed up maybe it was maybe that was maybe they otherwise would have just separated and divorced but Um, Mm -hmm. eventually that couple didn't stay together. Whereas, you know, you started out poly and now you're engaged, you know? Yeah. We started out open. Open. Is there a difference? Can you explain what the difference Mm -hmm. is? I mean, it's different for many couples and we also started out. Yeah. We started out open. So we had no like, we we were just like, yeah, we're, we started out not monogamous, but we had no structure, no words. We were just like, we both got out of these relationships um, long-term relationships. We both didn't want to be in another serious monogamous relationship. So we were both like, let's just keep it open. And we did that. And then like, you know, two or three years later, it kind of started to evolve. I do some kind of storytelling stand-up joke on stage about how Antonia, my partner, became Polly by like jumping in the sea and swimming across the Croatian sea. And I'm in like the kiddie pool like with Jewish floaties, like, excuse me, excuse me. Like, could I get some help here? Like, I like your floaties. And she would just jump into the ocean. She's fierce like yeah, that. She's like, oh, hey, baby, I have a couple of girlfriends. And I'm like, you have girlfriends already? Okay. No, I'm exaggerating it. We communicated, but, <laughs> but it was rough for me at first. And then it became really lovely. But I think we like evolved from reading books and talking and talking and talking and figuring out our language and our agreements. And we're still figuring it out. We've been together for almost seven years and we still have two to three hour conversations mapping out our agreements. How often, boundaries... how, are two, how often do these two to three hour conversations, we're talking once a month, once a, once I mean, a quarter, I, I once wish a day? They happen, I wish they happen every day. I'd love a 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. deep dive, but unfortunately I can't always get what I want. Um, I would say like <laughs> quarterly, we'll kind of assess ourselves. Um, to use a very business term, like quarterly. But, you know, it makes sense because, you know, especially as I remember you and I were talking, was it me and you talking the other day? I don't, maybe I was just listening to your podcast and felt like I was oh talking gosh. to you the other day. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but one of the things that you were talking about was that every time one of you meets a new person, you need to redraw the boundaries around that person's needs as well. So it's not just about the agreements you have with each other. It's about the agreements, the agreements that are made with these other partners that you find. Mm-hmm. And, and respecting the other people that come in and having them respect you. And it's like Which having sounds... roommates figuratively. 
that which makes perfect sense although to me it sounds unbelievable and of course it would then have to happen these deep talks every quarter because every time a new person comes in you need to sort of go through it again yeah and it's not even just new people coming in literally i mean it's that is that is it too but it's more like adjusting and communicating that our needs are we're meeting each other's needs while we're being with other people and i will say in this for the sake of Honestly, like Tony had a girlfriend for three years straight. They broke up not too long ago. I didn't date that much. So it was kind of like more of a assessing my needs while she had this other girlfriend for the first time. And that was our biggest struggle. Because when you're when you're monogamous, you each meet each other's needs. Now all of a sudden your partner, who you would think in some ways would be meeting your needs, has gone with some other woman. And she's still meeting my needs for sure, but it triggers the things, those deep-seated things like like abandonment and jealousy and all the things that we kind of, our biggest fears in monogamy is that someone might leave us and then it's over or someone might fuck someone else. Can I say the word fuck? I guess so. Somebody might be intimate with somebody else and then it's over. Like cheating is such a big deal for a lot of people. But with polyamory, you can still cheat because you can still not, whatever your agreements are, you can still break an agreement but the idea that somebody could fall in love with someone else is horrific and also extremely amazing because it, in our experience, it was a, definitely a work for me and for her. But it also was like this beautiful, abundant lesson and a lesson in compersion, which is where you feel joy when, you're other, when your partner feels joy of being like, oh, my gosh. This person fell in love with someone else and her love for me didn't diminish. Her time for me diminished a little bit because there's only so many hours in the day. So certain Sundays or Friday nights or Mondays, I don't get to be with this person. But that's the case with a job or with a friend or a project. So it, But the love didn't diminish. It just did not. Even if I felt like it did due to like jealousy. And that to me was like, this lesson that I think I'm still processing and not to get cheesy, but it did change the way I look at human relationships and my capacity for, from a scarcity model, from like a Jewish (laughs) scarcity model of like, Oh, there's never enough of anything. Like, and now I'm like, Oh my God, well there is enough of things because look at this thing that I, the most thing I was afraid would go away, got shared and it didn't go away. It's crazy. It's still crazy to me, to be honest. I'm still in wonder of that very specific aspect of it. But then how do you deal with the jealousy and the feelings of abandonment? <laughs> you know, and yeah. and knowing that it's Sunday not Sunday all day long and you're in love with someone and she's with someone else. How then is that something? How do you process that? How do you handle that? I mean, I guess it depends on your own personal demons. <laughs> but um, for me, it was about like not focusing on it or like trying to being happy for the person that they're with someone else. Like, like I don't want just want to snowboard. <laughs> I don't want to snowboard. It's dangerous. I'm not a good athlete. I don't want to do it. So thank God she found somebody to snowboard with and maybe have sex later. And I like having the house to myself. So, oh my God, I'm home alone. Like I can play the music I want to, or I don't feel guilty for wanting to write and not talk to her. I get the bed to myself a certain night. Or even just that idea of like, you do feel abandoned. You do feel jealous. You feel like the floor is falling in. You feel, you feel sick to your stomach. Whatever those feelings are, being able to hopefully ride them out and then they pass, and like you, not, it didn't. You didn't die. The person didn't leave you like that. And I'm not saying I've done that successfully. I'm speaking from a very like <laughs> above the fold place because I definitely like struggle with it. Right. But right now you're not in one of those dips. So you can have a more neutral. I'm not in a dip. I'm totally and I'm feeling like, you know, like blue, blue blanket bubble of like balance now in this moment. So I will say that, like, it's nice when you can dip in. If you let yourself dip in and know that you'll dip out. That being said, if you have if it's a struggle for you, like depression or anxiety or abandonment or jealousy or grief issues, and it's not something you can dip out of and you know that polyamory is going to be a trigger, of course don't be polyamorous. But 
that's something I think you learn or know about yourself. And there's nothing wrong with saying like, I, this is not something I ever want to dip into. I want my needs met monogamously. I agree. And I feel that way sometimes. And we're poly. So it's definitely like, and Antonia probably has her own other issues with Holly or her probably with the opposite of mine. I hear what you're saying because I think that, you know, in terms of the dips, in terms of going to places where it hurts, in terms of whether it's a broken heart or a massive issue at work or some, you know, having made a mistake and then having to deal with it. Any of those times in life where we go into a a spiral of fear and pain, as absolutely awful as it is in the moment, once we get out of it, we can look back and realize and learn something. I got out of it. It didn't kill me. And that's where that expression comes. You know, it, what did, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. And then also um, you'll be grateful for this when it's over. And if you're not grateful, it's not over. Um, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate both of those statements. Cause I think yeah. that the, there's a lot of truth in, in both of them, but what I don't think I am clear on yet. And I don't know if I got a clear answer is what is the difference between poly and open? Oh, so I would say an open relationship would be like an umbrella of non-monogamy, like consensual non-monogamy. So if you're open, it would be like this big umbrella. And then polyamory would be like literal multiple relationships with people. So you could be like you and your partner could be open and say, like, we're going to have threesomes or we're open. Maybe we're allowed to make out with people or we're open, just sex, no relationships, which I think that triggers me because I'm like, what? How's that possible? I need to love someone for sex. But if if someone else wants to have casual sex and that's the, so that could be open, but polyamorous would be in my definition, multiple relationships um, where, and then within that, there could be agreements Um, like consensual non-monogamy is also an umbrella, but it doesn't necessarily have to mean open. Like you could be open with your partner and be like, we're going to go to a sex party together. And at that sex party, we're allowed to have consensual sex with other people or we're allowed to engage in an orgy or whatever your agreements are. But it might not mean you're polyamorous because you might not have an agreement where you can have a relationship with someone. Got it. So the amory part is where love comes in. And it's not just sex and it's not just messy. It's, it's literally you're pursuing love with more than one human. Yeah. Or relationships like it might, maybe there's love or maybe you're dating someone for a year. Maybe you never say I love you, but you're, you're dating someone for a year. So that's like a relationship. It's a long time. Um, Yeah. I mean, I don't, who knows when people say those words. It's a long time to say with someone you don't love, but Hey, I don't judge. Yeah. (laughs) Or maybe, but maybe you're in like a kink relationship with someone for a year. Fair, fair enough. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you're like, you specifically want to do something very physical with someone And that goes on for six or seven years, but it's not, maybe it's not based on romantic love. Maybe you're just like a dom sub relationship. It's still a relationship with agreements and respect. Um, and it's long-term. So yeah, I don't, so I would say that like love, romantic love doesn't necessarily have to be the glue to make it like a substantial relationship, which I know was not what you're saying, but I'm trying to cover all the grounds of this like poly of what could be poly. Interesting. All right. Great perspective. Thank you. <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't know what I said, but I hope it made sense. <laughs> so and I don't want to like not have you on the podcast without being able to talk about the way that you've approached your art. And I, cause mm-hmm. I think it's really, I meet so many out of work artists. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> oftentimes because they're just, you know, whatever. And there's nothing wrong with it, but you know, actors that aren't getting picked for parts yeah. or, um, or, you know, people that are just not getting picked. And what I love about you is the way that you self-start, the way that you create your own projects, the way that you write and produce and do your own things. Um, and I just wanted to talk about, you know, first of all, how do you, how does one pick themselves? How do you, how do you do it? I mean, I think it's so important for, to pe- for people to hear and be empowered by. Um, that's a great question. And thank you for saying that. Likewise, I, I don't know, to be honest. I think it's out of necessity sometimes out of like learning that you're not happy doing anything else. And I think a lot of it is confidence over time, realizing that the people in charge are not, don't have your best interests in mind. Specifically with, I think the industry, like 
I would sometimes when I was auditioning, I get called in for projects and I'd be like, these scripts are terrible. Like I get sides to read and I'd be reading the sides and rewriting the sides. And then I'd be like, right. I could write this better than the freaking writer. Yeah. Why am I waiting for your permission for me? Kind to read of. And it's not like I get it. It's a first draft of a pilot or whatever it is. But I was like, why aren't I writing things for myself? And I think doing stand up from so early on made me realize I'm been writing for myself this whole time. So when did you start stand up? How old were you? I started at my senior year of college, actually in Michigan at the Heidelberg wow. bar on Main Street. There was this open mic night called Timmy's Tuesday Ticklers. Timmy's Tuesday Ticklers. Oh. I'm sorry I missed that. Mindy's first. That I been... mean, I still tell this one joke I wrote. You, and now we have to hear it. Go. It's a dildo joke. A dildo it's joke. That's perfect. Crazy. Yeah, because who knew that you were going to later be having much more use for those than when you did back when you were still dealing with real penises. I know. I mean, I definitely had vibrators, but like the thought of a strap on was like not in my I would never even thought. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought about it either. Yeah. Okay. So, so what's the Um, dildo joke? It's a really silly joke, but it, it just always stays with me and it doesn't ever age. So I still use it. It's the word dildo is really funny. I think it sounds like a Spanish word conjugated from dildar. (laughs) (laughs) And then I do dildo 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 That's really funny. I love it. It's so silly. It's the silliest joke, but it always it always works. And it's just like it makes me happy whenever I do it on stage. It like connects me to like that very first time you're like, I'm crafting a Spanish verb sex joke. You really did craft a Spanish verb sex joke and you conjugated into all the different. And so like I dildo, you dildo, we dildo. It's great. It's fucking Yeah, I do like yo dildo in mi dormitorio. I dildo in my room. I love that. Your Spanish is much better than mine. So I only do present tense. I do speak fluent Spanish. <laughs> I think I'll hire you as my Spanish consultant now. Maybe I'll put it in the subjunctive. I'll get crazy. <laughs> I love that you we got subjunctive <laughs> onto a podcast. It's freaking fantastic. <laughs> That's where I always failed in Spanish when we got past past tense. I was just like, not for me. I'm out of here. <laughs> well, I happen to like Spanish speaking women, so I had you know, we learn we learn by necessity. Um yes. <laughs> so um but in your one woman show, you actually actually impersonate the voice of your pussy. Like it actually has its own voice. Right. right. And that's like a great thing to do on a first date. <laughs> like, I imagine. I would like the Cabernet. And also I do a pussy voice if you want to hear it by the end of the night. It's like your own pussy personified. I've never I, seen anything like it. I would I tell you to do it on the podcast, but it comes with facial expressions and lip movements and tongue movements that you just wouldn't. I would tell you we should like you agree. No, it doesn't do it justice. It's a 4D experience. It's not an audio experience. Right. You have to go just you have <laughs> yeah. to see it live because it, it's so unexpected and ridiculous when it starts to happen. that I didn't know what to do with myself. And she sings and it's too much. It's too much. <laughs> it's a lot. But- I love that. It really make a, you make a good point that as a stand-up comedian, you were always sort of writing for yourself. And then, so what happened from there? Were you always doing stand-up? Because I know at some point you also wrote a young adult novel, didn't you? Yeah, um, I was doing stand-up, and then I was writing a column for College Humor um, that they hired me to write the sex relationships column for them. Oh, there you go. It was like this weekly column, and so blogging had just started too. So I was on like blogspot.com kind of blogging about God knows what I was 24. I would, it's, I hope it's archived and, but the internet never dies. And then I was writing this college humor column and doing stand up. And then I had an editor come to one of my stand up shows randomly, liked my stand up, Googled me, started reading my columns and asked me if I wanted to attempt to write for young adults, which I had never I th- I love young adult books, but I never thought about writing a a fiction novel. And I was like, sure, I have a I know how to write a book, which I didn't. But um, and so we formed a relationship, and I um sold my book on like a um a I guess a spec like seventy pages, and it came out in twenty thirteen, and so I ended up becoming an author through stand up, which is totally a backdoor a backdoor thing and that's how that happened but it just goes to show you that when you choose yourself and you pick yourself and you stand up and I don't mean stand up as in stand-up comedy but yeah, yeah. um take a stand for 
doing the projects that you want to do. I don't know how, were you getting paid? Were you able to support yourself with your stand-up back then or was it a side thing? No, I mean, I was, the, sh- the funny thing, I mean, I was working like a radio, uh, voiceovers at a radio. I was running a daycare. I was doing stand-up. I was writing a college humor column. Like still similar one. It's like all the different projects, but the stand-up I was doing, like I'd only been doing stand-up for like three or four years, which is not a long time to do stand-up. And I probably, I was okay. But I think when you know your voice, you know your voice, even if you don't necessarily know how to be like the most polished stand-up. But the show that this editor was at, just as a lesson, was it was, I think, called the Tea Bag Open Mic in Chinatown. It was a great show, by the way. It was the the guys who ran it were the best. They always gave you a DVD afterwards, which I thought was like so classy. And because some of these shows are like whatever, I won't get into the bowels of stand up comedy in the early aughts. But um, this show, for some reason, that night was not well attended. Usually, there's like maybe 30, 40 people in this little room. I feel like that night it was like a rainy Tuesday, probably. I think there were like seven or eight people in the audience. Wow. And I was doing like, it's painful. I, I, it, yeah, I mean, it's stand up, but you just do it. But one of them was that editor and I was going to cancel the show because it was pouring rain and I was tired and I was like, no one's going to come out. And what's the point of doing this material again for like 10 or 15 people? I'm going to cancel. And then I went because what else? I just went to do it. And that there wasn't, Jessica was in the audience and that relationship formed a huge opportunity in your life just by not just by showing up. Like showing up. Yeah, yeah just showing by up showing to up. Do the show. So and, important to just show up in life. And I definitely wasn't perfect at that show according to my writing or stand-up. I was a work in progress. I'm always a work in progress. But I had stuff online. I had been working my stuff and putting myself out there. And that's what got me that book deal. So, yeah. And that's what I always try to continue to do, even if I'm having slumps, to remember, like, you have to keep – be prolific, keep putting stuff out there if you can without putting the pressure on yourself to always produce because sometimes you need a break. But when you do put your stuff out there, no one's going to find you if you're not putting stuff out there. Hey, it's brilliant and it's so important. Um, and, to sh- and just showing up and doing, doing projects other than just what makes you money too, even if it's not because you were saying that look what that led to so many things in your life um, and really following passions. And it's so cool how you do that. Would you consider your one woman show to be stand up or is that because it seemed more performance? It's like a yeah. mix, right? What would you consider that? I would consider it storytelling with theater and stand up vehicles as a vehicle. Definitely. Including a pussy voice. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was one long narrative story with like 30 minutes of stand up like hidden in it and like uh, theater transitions. <laughs> that that feels right based on what I saw. And so then are there other times that you still do stand up? Can people still find you doing stand up? Uh, yeah, I do. I produce a monthly show called The Golden Spiral. Is uh, it in New York? Where is it? Or is it all over? Or? It's uh, in the East Village on Avenue B, a bar called Dream Baby on B and 11. All right. You'll have to give me the link so I can link it below for anyone who gets to New York. Yeah, it's super fun. It's a based on it's really nerdy. It's based on the Fibonacci sequence. So our stand-ups do sets 5, 8, 13, 21 to spiral. It's really nerdy. but it's What does like that even reference? Fun. I'm going to just admit that I'm really naive and I don't know what the Fibonacci sequence is. Oh, it's, it's a mathematical sequence of numbers that um, supposedly all things in nature emulate, like the pineapple, the flower, um, the seashell. I mean, everything, actually. So that spiral, I think I know. I yeah, think I know. once you get deep into it, it's like, Wow. Fractals. Is this all a computer? Yeah. Yeah. Our whole world is fractals. Yeah, totally. And I don't understand the formula. I'm more metaphors when it comes to math, which is why I have a comedy show with a math theme. <laughs> That's really, really cool. Speaking of fractals that we were talking about. With my, with my co-host, Katie, with my co-host, Katie Kampa, by the way, who also is a Fibonacci nerd. All right. Fantastic. Katie. <laughs> I love that. Um, so we were talking about just the between. I love like we were talking about. Being, speaking of fractals, I want to like, I don't want to miss out on our talk about like being a tree versus being a squirrel. I, I know this is sort of a big jump, yes. but you have such a good metaphor about the tree and the squirrel. Um, and whenever I think of fractals, yeah. I think of big, beautiful trees with their branches branching out. Um, talk to me about, mm-hmm. talk to me about trees and squirrels. Well, I love trees. Um, <laughs> no, actually the first time I did shrooms and the last time I did shrooms, I proposed to a tree. What did you propose? Um, 
I just, I fell in love with this tree and I literally like felt the deepest love I felt for anything with this beautiful tree in Prospect Park to the point where like, I was like, literally was like, going to be together forever like I was in the into this tree the way that I was into any woman in my life it wasn't sexual but I felt like so connected just so connected to this tree I still know where she is like I visit her and you know she's female yeah yeah I like a strong alpha woman um she was giant but yeah I was really into this tree and then ever since then yeah I've thought of just really rooted and connected in that way and then my good friend Sarah um, who's um, just wonderful, used this metaphor once about when I was talking about people pleasing, about being a tree and letting people come to her versus like like letting people come to you and take my fruit. And I'm if I you can stay still in your own space and hold space for yourself, people can come to you. And I thought that was so beautiful. And I sometimes try to think of myself the way she does, like more like a tree versus a squirrel. And there's nothing wrong with and a so squirrel. so describe the contrast. What would a squirrel be compared to a tree? I mean, like running around, trying to get the nuts, like up and down, like around the tree, talking to other squirrels. Where's the nut? Where's the nut? Got to get the nut. Got to get the nut. And then the tree is just like, take my nuts. I'm here. If you want my nuts, you can have them, but I'm not going to like, you know, shake them for you. And there's nothing wrong with being a squirrel. Like I work and produce and I squirrel around, but when you need to be a tree, you can. And I think sometimes I, that's not my wheelhouse, that stillness. And I, I really long for that sometimes. Do you think that works with women better when you stand as a tree than when you... Because <laughs> I sort of find that... I guess it depends on the dynamic. I'm a little switchy. So if I if I meet another squirrel, I get a little tree dumb. But generally, I'm always kind of more drawn towards trees. <laughs> definitely. Well, Antonia definitely seems like that strong, solid type. And, I, and, and letting people come yeah. to her... I can see you that. can be two trees, though. You can be two trees for sure. So, yeah, speaking of trees and things I learned about the world looking at trees, I remember just looking at these trees all next to each other and just being so profoundly moved by the way that they're forever together. Their entire lives are spent just right next to each other and how they can get along and it's okay and they're not. Um, stressed about it and there's no disagreement really and there's just this peaceful standing Mm -hmm. next to each other which I found to be completely profound and I don't know if there's any relevance to this whatsoever I was actually just gonna say like that's a beautiful way to look at it like they're talking to each other the root systems the fungi is talking and then the Jewish person in me is like that sounds horrific to be rooted next to the same person for eternity but also it's beautiful but also they don't know anything else they don't know anything else and in some ways um, you would think when the wind blows, if there's more of you to sort of shelter the wind, you're all it's sort of stronger together. Yeah. Uh, but now maybe we're getting a little too deep into things. No, I love it. And their root system is is outreaching. Their root system can go right for And the more roots you have, then the more grounded you are, and you know the less erosion will wipe away the dirt. And it's really it's really great. Yay for the trees. We need more trees in more places, I think. You know what? This is literally sounding like one of my dates right now, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, but that's bad because I don't know that we're having sexual chemistry right now. <laughs> no, but this is so something I would do on a date where the person's like trying to kiss me, and I'm like, hey, I was like, do you know that trees can talk to each other through their, through their like, um, through the mycelium, through mycelium. Of the mushroom. Yeah, and they're like, yeah. thanks, Mindy. Do you want another drink? And I'm like, um, let me tell you my history of beverages. And full circle. Let me. <laughs> I love it. Fantastic. This is great. Do you have any last minute advice for being funny for women who want to use laughter more for teaching like oh. humor tricks? Any humor tricks for women that want to make girls d- laugh on dates? Sure. Oh, I don't know about tricks. I would say for me, being funny is about being honest. So I think whatever you are and honestly in the moment, and if someone finds that funny, whether laughing with you or not at you, then that's a good connection because it's so subjective. So I would, I know that sounds so general, like blah, blah, but I think it's very true. When you are like your honest self, that's, I think when you're making a connection with someone and if they're laughing at you, like you, that brings them joy. Like if your honest self brings someone joy and that joy elicits laughter, that's it. That's it. You're golden. And humor coming from raw truth. Yeah. I mean, or what you, the things that you find funny, I would say like own that. I think a lot of people are like, oh. 
they t- like someone told me a joke on a date and they're like, I'm sorry, like that's a stupid joke because you're a comedian. And I was like, that's the best joke. I can't remember what it was. It was like a pun, but I think it's like the confidence to know, like to stand in your truth of what you like and what you find funny. And if someone doesn't find that funny, they're not the person for you or that's not the way you're going to connect with them. Like Antonia doesn't like a lot of my jokes. She doesn't have my stand up. She's like, I can't believe they're laughing at that. <laughs> but we've been together seven years. We have deep love for each other. But she's not my audience sometimes. Totally. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to connect. It might just mean that like you have a different sense of humor. <laughs> right. And there's a million other ways to connect outside of humor. But I do think that the, the idea that what you think is funny, the more you could just share it with your truth. That's good advice. Any other advice? Uh, any other advice from the person who said they're a bad dater? Um, <laughs> well, advice about making people laugh. We know you're good at making people laugh. I, I'm not saying yeah. dating advice. <laughs> oh, making people laugh. Um, yeah, I think there's, I think easy intention. If you think about laughter is a release from tension. So I think it's about being slightly empathetic towards when things are tense and then figuring out a way to release tension in a way that doesn't cross somebody's boundaries. I think that's really healthy humor socially. I'm not talking about professional joke writing, but I'm talking in a situation. So in a situation socially, if you want to make someone laugh, it would be about thinking about moments of tension and release and just maybe wanting to make someone comfortable. And usually when things get tense, you don't know what to say. And some people naturally relieve tension with humor or making the person feel comfortable. So it's about finding those moments for yourself and for other people. Like keeping your little empathetic periscope up. And if high empathy is not your thing, that's okay too. Just like do what you think is funny and then let the other person go for the ride. But I do think to make someone laugh, you do have to be highly, I think, empathetic to the energy so you can find tension and release within yourself and the other person, which isn't something naturally that everyone has. I just never thought of it before. Yeah, it's interesting. Tension and release. I never thought of it in those terms. Yeah, I think it's tension and release and a lot of, I think it's a lot of empathy, though I think a lot of comics would not use the word empathy. And maybe that's me being too textbook about it. Well, if you can't, if they can't see, if you're not on the same page, they're not going to laugh. So there has to be some degree of empathy. Otherwise, you're not what is there to laugh at, right? If you're not understanding each yeah. other. Or empathetic with energy. Like if you're going to be a comedy comedian with a microphone in this room full of a hundred people, you have to like feel the energy of the room and know how to shift it versus one-on-one. It's the same thing. You have to like respond to someone's dynamic and know when you're losing them, if you're going to try, if the goal is to make them laugh and bring them joy in that way. That's great. Do you have any books you can recommend? Like, do you have any recommendations for books on um, open relationships or polyamorous relationships? Yeah. That you would recommend? Um, Esther Perel's Maiden in Captivity is good. Even if it's not necessarily poly, it's just about maintaining monogamy. Um, More Than Two is really good. Um, Ask Me About Polyamory. It's a comic by Tikva Wolf is really funny and like good for like actually kids. I would say anyone who wants to experiment with polyamory or non-monogamy should read about boundaries and codependency. Uh, I don't know if I can think of, I think there's one book just called Boundaries and it's a little like dense, but I think it's learning about boundaries and what boundaries are and learning about what your boundaries are, I think is the number one thing you should learn as a human. But with polyamory and open relationships, that's like a number one thing is knowing what you want and how to maintain what you want, I think is a big deal because so many factors are going to come in. And when tornadoes hit, you want to know like, okay, like, who am I? What do I want? What do I need? How can I get my needs met? Blah, blah, blah. So I think boundary books are great. (laughs) Yeah. And in any relationship, we still need to know how to meet our own needs. We can't outsource that to our partner no matter what. I mean, at the end of the day, whether you're monogamous or non-monogamous, it's, you really can't be looking to our partner to satisfy our needs. Yes. Um, and, and we can't be looking to our partner to be the one to make us happy. We have to make ourselves happy. And a partner should just be bonus at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, even for monogamous people I, I, or for myself. But I, I recommend it. I, I totally agree with that. I think also if you are monogamous, reading about polyamory will probably make you it, – it, it will be helpful, I think, because the stuff that you learn with poly is not necessarily about practicing poly. It's just about being um, 
a better human to yourself and having healthy relationships in general. So jealousy, insecurity, abandonment, these are issues that everyone has fears about. Yeah, it's so normal, whether you're in a monogamous relationship, or whether you're single, those are valuable lessons to learn. Um, exactly whether or not you're in a polyamorous relationship. So I think that's totally true. Yeah, for sure. Is there anything I should have asked you that I haven't? Is there anything else you can share about where we can find, where women can find you, what you're excited about that you're working on, what we can look forward to? Um, you covered it. I feel like we covered a lot of it. Um, people can find me online on Instagram mostly is where I mostly post. And my website, I have a mailing list. My Instagram is, you can Google my name, Mindy Rath, but it's Mindela with three M's. Mindela. <laughs> uh, Mindela. And then... Um, my website is mindyraff.com and everything else is my name. So if you look at my name, it connects to all the social and the mailing list on my website. And yeah, I'm, uh, if you're not going to send me a dick pic, I'll probably respond to your Instagram message. I'm pretty good, but with boundaries. Good, but with boundaries. Perfect. Yeah. Well, but come see, say hello. <laughs> definitely do. Thank you so much, Mindy. Uh, you're awesome. I always love talking to you. This was so much fun. I'm really grateful that you came to share your perspectives and wisdom and ideas and jokes with us on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Likewise. I'm so glad we met. This was such a treat. Yeah. I know. It took us 19 years, but we made it happen. High five. <laughs> High five. <laughs> love you, girlfriend. Thank love you. Love you. Bye. And now I would love to hear from you. We talked about a whole lot of things on this podcast, but I'm curious, what of the many things we spoke about was the most impactful for you? Head on over to the blog at womenwantingwomen.com and let us know. And if you're interested in finally finding your soulmate so you can be best friends who learn and grow together and share your dreams together and have adventures together and share cozy nights together for as long as you both shall live, then there are tons of valuable free resources for you on womenwantingwomen.com, including a guidebook for finding your lesbian soulmate, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a report on the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a free matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free on womenwantingwomen.com. And when you claim your free access to any of those things, you automatically become a Jordana Michelle Insider, which will give you instant access to an email training series I created to help you get on your game, to find your soulmate faster and easier, and to help you grow the deepest love possible once you finally meet each other. Plus, you'll get exclusive content and special giveaways and some personal updates from me that I just don't share anywhere else. So go to womenwantingwomen.com and check it out for yourself and share it with any other LGBT women that could benefit from what I'm offering there. Until next time, don't forget that hot lesbians are everywhere, that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Women Wanting Women. 